Hello, this is Gerd Leonhard and welcome to my podcast. I started out as a musician and producer. I was a, uh, in America. I went to school in Boston and, and I, I became a musician and producer. I made many records and then I went on the internet in the mid-90s, you know, to start a digital music company, a little bit like Spotify. Uh, same idea, but way too early. Uh, and then in 2001, you know, everybody in America went bankrupt uh, in the internet bust, right? Um, and then basically I realized that I was very good at seeing sort of seeing things early before others because uh, basically my idea was a, was a lot like Spotify when you look at the later time. Um, and so I wrote a book called The Future of Music and that became a bestseller about the music business and in the book we described the music business of today basically uh, I, together with another author. And so I realized I was good at seeing the future and understanding you know the next five ten years which is not that difficult but you have to have a different view and I was good and I was too early you know for many ways um, I was too early to actually implement the idea, so I was much better off to talk about it right, and help others. And so basically my job today is uh, to help companies and governments and organizations and people uh, to sort of understand what's coming in the next five to ten years, uh, to develop what I call foresights. And foresights are not predictions, they're basically understanding, intuition, imagination, so, for example, when I said, in 1999, I said, music will move into the cloud, right? We will get music from the cloud, just push a button, right? And that was already quite clear in 1999, except that nobody wanted to believe it. So, my job is to show people what is coming, uh, to get them interested and to get them prepared, and to help them to develop what I call the future mindset, to really get into the future, to understand it. And in many ways, that's a little bit like a therapist, you know. Uh, a therapist may not tell you anything really new, but point you in the right direction of action uh, and hold the mirror up to you. Uh, so that's, that's my function, really, that I, that I take for my clients. I'm quite an optimist about the future because really what I believe is, and I think it's, it's, uh, it's coming true to some degree, um, that we will have all the technology and the science that we need to solve all of our major problems, whether it's energy or food or water or space travel, education. We are solving things. I mean, we developed a vaccine in 12 months. Right? And usually it takes 15 years for that to happen. So we will have all the technology. My main concern about the future is our policy and our ethics and our governance. Right? So I always say we will have all the, all the tools, but will we have the will? That is the key question. It's not that, that we're, we're not capable. We are capable. Uh, but can we collaborate? Can we work together to create a good future? Or are we going to get stuck in what I call the sort of, uh, you could say, the, the good old-fashioned future, which is about, you know, making more money. First, I think a lot of people tend to think that things have gotten worse in the world. But if you look at the real numbers, like you look at data, the Data World, uh, World Network from Max Roser and others, it is actually the reverse. You know, we have gained a lot of positive things in the last 20 years 
childbirth death is seriously down, poverty is seriously down, inequality is seriously down, but not between uh, within countries. That's a different question, right? And we have achieved, I mean, 12 months for a vaccine? That's just, what did you, 15 years before, right? And, and so first, I want to say we have achieved many good things and we have created many other monsters, you know, like, like Facebook and social media, right? But ultimately, uh, the question really is about this, right? Do you believe that humans are basically kind and positive and collaborative? Or do you believe that human beings will always just do whatever is first for them and not care about anything else? And there's a great book on that too called Humankind, uh, which I recommend, making the argument that we are, as Winston Churchill used to say about the Americans, right? He said, you can always count on Americans to do the right thing after they tried everything else. Right? Uh, and to which I would amend and say, you can always count on humans to do the right thing after we've tried many wrong things. Right? And so I believe that we are capable of doing this and we are capable of uh, spreading the benefit and doing what is good for us. In fact, I think that uh, we are on the way to the learning in a COVID crisis, right? We have learned the rising tide floats all boats and if there is no water in the river, there won't be any boats, right? No matter where you are in the world, you've got to collaborate to make it work. So geopolitics, healthcare, technology, energy, water, food, right? So I think that is my positive outlook, and this is why I'm hoping that in the next 10 years we're going to get around to solving, for example, the energy issue and, uh, and transitioning into the green economy. Well, you know, human, human beings are not very good at seeing into the future without a reason. So usually the reason is that something bad happens or we fall in love with a new idea. You know, it's basically what I call pain or love, right? So, <laughs> uh, like now with the COVID crisis, we've had a lot of pain and the pain has taught us that we have to be prepared and we're not going to make the same mistake again by not paying attention, attention to diseases and pandemic and healthcare. We have learned that lesson uh, and it's brutal. Several million people will, will be dead when it's all done, probably more like four or five million in the end, right? And, you know, we had a similar lesson with Hiroshima and Nagasaki, uh, where we had the nuclear bomb and then we said, okay, if everybody gets a bomb, then we're finished, right? So we made a nuclear treaty and it took us 20 years for that, right? Uh, and now basically what's happening now is we're sitting here and we're saying, you know what, the other really existential issues are climate change. And now we're going to be much quicker to responding. Portugal, for example, just came up with a discussion about uh, the carbon-free airline travel and, uh, and the discussion of taxes on airlines, right? Um, so that is next. And then also the question of technology. How much technology is good technology, right? That is the key question. Like connecting my brain to the internet with 5G so I can always uh, think like Wikipedia. You know, I can pull up Wikipedia while I'm sitting on the beach. I'm not sure that's a good idea. So uh, that is the key question. Uh, well, there is a principle that I've uh, initiated years ago in my, in my last book. Um, I've basically said, okay, the more we connect, the more we must protect what makes us human. 
Uh, it sounds like an like a dilemma, you know. It's like it's not the fact that we're connected that everything is good just because we're connected. Technology is not a magic wand; it is a tool, and technology is morally neutral until we use it. Says William Gibson, the science fiction author. So 5G is is morally neutral, medically neutral, I would say, but lots of discussions about that. But it's morally neutral, but the way that we use it could not be neutral. Right? So so. Basically, we have to say that we're, we're going to find rules and new definitions about what is good because clearly the faster we can connect, the cheaper we connect, the more possibilities of error and mistakes and abuse. The biggest issue is going to be, of course, safety and security. I mean, 80% of the military spending in 2030 will be cybersecurity. And this is quite obvious. I mean, we can probably defeat cancer if we upload all of our DNA to a cloud and the cloud analyzes all the patterns and finds a way for us to prevent cancer, but who's going to be in charge of my DNA in the cloud? And, and those are all complex questions. So again, I would say that any telecom company today that wants to be successful has to get involved with what I call digital ethics, the ethics of technology. And I have proposed, and I think Portugal is, is considering this, uh, to uh, put together a digital ethics council, you know, people that are the wise people, like, you know, Socrates kind of people, who sit down and say, okay, let's think about this, you know, what can we do to make it good? That is the key question. I think every company needs that, uh, every telecom needs that, every city needs that, uh, and every country needs that. It's basically too much of a good thing can be a very bad thing. Right? And that is not new. It's about food, drinking, alcohol, smoking. Yeah, in many ways you could say we can't make everything illegal just because it's dangerous. You know, that is part of being human that we, we do these things, right? But clearly if you drink a bottle of whiskey every day for breakfast, you know, you are in deep trouble. And, and I think the same thing is about technology. You know, we, we're going to use technology to connect with everything. We're going to work in the cloud. We're going to have jobs that are, exist only digitally. We're going to use virtuality. But we should not forget that in the end, we're still human and we're not meant to be sitting on, you know, a one gigabyte data feed every second of our life. You know, that's not what makes us human. It's just a tool. And so there we need to make sure, for example, in the case of 5G, uh, it is terrible not to be connected or to have a bad connection, but it's also terrible to be overconnected. You know, I call that digital obesity. You know, we're constantly like taking in information that will kill us, just like real obesity kills, you know, 400 million people have obesity in the world. So uh, this is a very similar topic. And so I always say when we are really connected, we have to also have time to disconnect. Because being human means to disconnect sometimes. You know, I think every technology is essentially a powerful tool that we must learn how to use or not to use. You know, the, the hammer is a powerful tool and the carpenter goes and builds a house with a hammer, but I could take the hammer and kill a few people on the street, if, you know, with the same hammer. So, so when we use technology like 5G, 
it is a very good start that we have it and that it's affordable and that is good, but we have to learn how to use it. Right? So companies that are in the business of providing 5G connectivity also have to furnish instruction and help how to build your business on it and what possibilities exist. And they have to also be in charge of safety and security and ethics based on the service. Yeah. For example, when I, when I connect my body with 5G to the telehealth care, you know, telemedicine, so all my data goes to the cloud and my, my smartwatch and my, you know, everything, then who is responsible for this? Right? Security, safety, standards. And so telecoms have to get involved with the ecosystem. They can't just get involved and say, well, we make the 5G and everybody else takes care of the rest. That's kind of like an oil company saying, we take out the oil and everything else is your problem. <laughs> well, it's not. Right? So it's basically, um, if this is going to work, we need more instruction, more help, more responsibility. Um, you know, otherwise, we have the Facebook problem a hundred times over. This is exactly what Facebook is saying. They're saying, our platform is great. People can use it for good things and for bad things. It's not our business. Well, it is their business right? because they're making it work. I'm not afraid of any of it. I, I'm, I'm very excited about 5G. I mean, I use it now here in Switzerland. and It's amazing. Yeah, I think it's, it's amazing that we have these technologies. But we have to keep in mind that technology is not good or bad in itself. It is a tool. Right? Uh, in, if we have a tool, we have to say, well, what do we want to do with this tool? And is that good for the other people using the same tool or other tools? Right? So it is not enough to say, wow, that's amazing, we can do this. I mean, if we're, if we're going to do everything that we can, just because we can, we're going to end up becoming robots. Right? Because we're going to connect our brain to the internet. Right? Elon Musk already working on a project like this. Uh, and I think in Portugal and generally in Europe, you know, people are humanists. Uh, especially in Portugal, there's a very strong humanist tendency in, the, in society. So there we have to say that this tool is amazing and then we have to make a framework around it. And that is going to be very important. So we can't just say, well, everything is good just because it exists. Well, we don't do that with other things. You know, we, uh, it's not a question of yes or no, it's a question of it depends. When you look at 5G at the opportunities, the list is about two miles long. You know, <laughs> I think one of the most exciting applications is sustainability, decarbonization, green energy, uh, green, the Green Deal. You know, using technology, we can connect everything, environmental outlets, filtering, monitoring, and we can learn from that and we can act in time and we can predict and prevent. That alone is trillions of euros of benefit across Europe. And then, of course, there's things like education and video and training. I mean, if I can learn how to uh, put my motorcycle together or how to fix the telecom network using virtual reality, I'm going to be a hundred times as fast as learning it from a book. Right? It's like virtual, it's like superhuman, you know. Uh, and, and the story goes on like agriculture. You know, if we're going to connect all devices to the Internet of Things and use agriculture and create smart agriculture, you know, then all of a sudden we're going to be able to feed more people. Right? So all you have to do is you take the old business, whether it's agriculture or pharma or medical or, or government, and you stick it into what we call the smart converter, 
you know, you're connected, 5G, AI, and out comes the smart business. And that is going to be a gigantic boom for economy and industry uh, in Portugal, but everywhere, really. Well, let's keep in mind that telecoms are no longer going to be just infrastructure providers, and this is already clear. Uh, and many, many telecoms around the world have already shown that the biggest business in the future is not to charge people for the mobile phone contract or the SIM card or the data. The biggest business is all the other things that sit on top of the food chain, what's called over the top, right, OTT. So that is media, it's medicine, telemedicine, it's working remotely, it's virtual reality, it is money, it's digital currency, it's all that stuff that happens on top of it. So telecom companies are no longer going to be just in the infrastructure business. You know? So basically when you look at this, it's infrastructure on the bottom, and that is very important, and then there's applications and you know, uh, business models on top, and now telecoms are moving up. And I think Portugal is actually doing quite good in this, for example, there's major projects in the Azores, you know, for the connectivity of the Internet of Things uh, to see what kind of benefit can be made for green cities and for the environment. And this is crucial, you know, the telecom companies are going to be part of an ecosystem of the digital society. So any telecom that puts their flag down and says, you know, we are people, planet, purpose, prosperity, not just infrastructure, they're going to win. And we see that around the world with companies like MTN or Spark in New Zealand or many other examples. I think with anything like this, it's always a mixed uh, decision that's based on social contracts and laws and regulation and just voluntary common sense. You know, I mean, look, it's basically like with alcohol, you know, a 12-year-old uh, kid in Portugal cannot go to the store and buy whiskey. Uh, and should they be allowed to? No. You know, and they can get whiskey some other way if they want to. But there are regulations about this. And then we have social contracts, okay, that say, for example, if you're drinking a bottle wine, of wine for, for lunch, when you're having a working meeting, then most people would say that's, there's something strange about that, right? But it's not forbidden. And the same thing goes about technology. So when we're using technology to a good purpose, then there's a social environment around it that says, okay, that's good and this is not good, you know. Like going to a restaurant and taking 14 phone calls, you know, most people would hate you, right? Uh, so, but then we, we still need some regulation that is the obvious worst case. Like we have now on Facebook, you know, Facebook is manipulating what people think of news. It's destroying our democracy by using basically advertising-based algorithms and needs to be regulated. And for telecom companies, it is no longer enough to just say, well, it's working great and you can do high-speed whatever uh, and it's not expensive. You know, that's very good. But in the end, there's responsibility for what you make. So if you're creating an environment of constant connectivity and virtuality and then you are responsible for maintaining the ecosystem. Right? So that is some good things and some not so good things. It's no longer enough to just say, well, we make the service and if there's a problem, that's you know, somebody else's problem. That, that is not going to work. Yeah, regulation is, is usually unlocked through a, a, a market movement or a painful event 
where regulators realize, oh, it's no longer working, right? Uh, and that those are external things that you know you can make them faster, you can do something. But you know we're going to have regulation on social media and social networks and data and and the use of data on the internet because it's been painful, right? Uh, and so now the European Commission and, and and of course in the UK and the US, everywhere around the world, we're going to see antitrust and regulation of this kind of data abusive technology, right? And look what's happening in America. Now, very soon, you can get a driver's license for an autonomous car. Yeah. So regulation has to change. And, and this is happening because people are saying, you know what, if we don't have that, we can't really move forward. And I think it's going to be the same thing here. Uh, it's going to take longer. This is a very sheltered industry. Right? And this is one of the big drawbacks of this industry. It's very internal. It's kind of like mining or something, you know. Most people don't really know what a miner does, or you know how exactly all that works today, uh, and that needs to be opened up, I believe. Yeah? But you know, having more debate about what is necessary and informing people who are regulators and policymakers. But you know, the European Commission has the initiative of the United uh, European Sky, right? And that is, in my view, a great step forward. In, you know, it's important, I think, for people who work in this industry is to not look at the future with fear, uh, but to look at the future and say, you know, I may have to change, I may have to unlearn, relearn, right? Uh, but, but there is a role for me. And, you know, it's very few industries where that's not the case. You know, for example, I would say if you work in the oil industry on an oil rig, there is no role for you in 10 years. You know, that's just kind of a time out effect, you know. But are we going to fly? Are we going to have more airplanes? Yeah, I mean, this is a really basic human need is to, to meet and to go. Right? That's not just going to go away. That may be a good move to make initially. You know, I always say that I, I think that 80% of the entire defense budget will be digital in, in 10 years. I mean, this is our number one issue. Imagine if your DNA, your biome, your genome is in the cloud because of, you know, wanting to fight cancer. And, and, and I mean, imagine, and, and, then, and then we have a Facebook, Google type, IBM type uh, environment of where that data is being used as they see fit, you know, uh, which may be reasonable now, but it won't be reasonable then, you know. So uh, this is definitely a crucial thing because as we connect everything, things get efficient and the margin goes up and the potential for intrusion goes up enormously. Right? So I, I, I would applaud pretty much any initiative to make that work in a collaborative way. Uh, as I said in my talk, this is going to be a question of high-level collaboration. Right? We're not going to secure systems like this by an individual act. Right? Um, so that is really a question of cross-industry collaboration from the airplane manufacturers all the way to the people that make the towers and the, and the computers and yeah. But suffice to say, I think we will have all the means to make it safe and secure, but we'll have to agree on standards uh, and, and we'll have to uh, have very smart people who will actually run the effort. Yes, well, I think the rule, the rule of automation is really simple in the end. You know, we are going to see the end of routine jobs. So the end of routine tasks, mostly, not even the job, but you know, everybody does some routine. I do routine, you know, researching, billing, accounting, right? Uh, I think we're going to see the routine being done by smart machines, by intelligent assistants. 
They're not going to be X Machine or Black Mirror or any of those or any of those things. It's just going to be a software agent that does the monkey work, you know, the 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 series, the commodity work. And if you think about this, for example, in agriculture, if a machine can, can drive the tractor uh, and the machine can water the field and so on, what does a farmer do? Well, the farmer gets to study about the next generation of seeding or whatever he wants to study. Yeah? So really what is happening with us is that our routines are being removed by machines. And if your job is 95% routine, you, you, will, you won't have a job. Right? But which job is 95% routine? Farming isn't, driving isn't, call center, yeah, maybe. Yeah. But basically what is happening is that we're moving from the lowest uh, part of work, which is basically data information and, and simple sort of uh, non-cognitive things. You know, we're moving up the, ladder, the food chain. And what we have to do now is we have to train people to unlearn, to relearn and to get new skills and character traits that machines can't do. And the list of what machines can't do is very long. Right? Machines do not have emotions, they don't understand, they can look at data, you know, they're binary. So the future of work, as I like to say, is to be human. Uh, and I think this is going to happen in every single occupation, not just telecom or agriculture, or, but also with lawyers and dentists and, and uh, accountants. You know, we're going to give the routine to the machines like, you know, at the dentist, you can use a scanner now. You don't have to use the goo. You can use the electronic scanner. And does that mean dental hygienists are out of work? No. It just means their work is different. So we shouldn't be that afraid of this. You know, the only people that should be afraid is the ones that do machine work. Right? If you work like a robot, a robot will take your job. That is the reality. This is Gerd Leonhard, Futurist. Thanks for listening to my podcast. Check out my videos at GertTube.com on YouTube.